Here we are, the second episode of 1987, and we were discussing what films to uh, watch. Uh, and of course, 1987 was the year that Hollywood rediscovered Vietnam. So we thought maybe we'd do uh, a Vietnamathon, but then, do you know what? I thought, well, we watched Apocalypse Now. That's probably enough Vietnam to cover. I, I think we should just kind of turn it off at that point. I think, for me, you know, uh, filmically, Vietnam was over. So Nothing is over. Nothing. You just don't turn it off. What? There's this ribbon of memes, and we're going back in country. Oh, oh we seem to have had an intervention there from um, a, a, another famous filmic character. Um possibly someone doing an excellent impression of John Rambo, I think. So it sounds like we are going back in country for episode 27 of Ribbon of Memes, a podcast where we interrogate films previously described by other combatants as masterpieces. I'm joined as ever by Reconnaissance Roger. This is my podcast. There are many like it, but this one is mine. (laughs) And I am Nick. And we are on episode 27 of Ribbon of Memes, if I haven't said that already. 1987 is the year Hollywood crept out of the shadow of Apocalypse Now and decided to do a few more Vietnam films. As they sometimes away with Hollywood, there was a lot of Vietnam films in 1987. Um, we didn't even do all of them for this podcast, but we have picked three, probably the most prominent three, though there will be some honourable mentions. Yeah, uh, Platoon did technically come out in 86, but it was definitely part of the same... Uh, it's it certainly, um, for one of them, they, they the director said after the fact that, yeah, we could have had this one out first, but Paramount wanted to see how Platoon was going to do before they decided how much marketing to put behind my film. So. <laughs> okay. I think it was right at the end of 80. It was like December or something. Yeah. So we, we're counting it to, to make it work. And let's um, face it, we're not going to do three Vietnam episodes. <laughs> um, I think we'll be Vietnamed out after this. We are talking about Oliver Stone's, uh, not his first film, I don't think, um, but Oliver Stone's Platoon. We're finally getting to grips with some Stanley Kubrick with Full Metal Jacket. And we're mm-hmm. returning to Barry Levinson, who we last encountered with Dinah, um, for Good Morning Vietnam. So there we are. Um, which one would you like to discuss first, Roger? Do you have some themes you want to talk about beforehand? Well, I think a bit of context is possibly worth considering. Uh, th- things yes. that, indeed, uh, you, you may be more familiar with than I am as more of a 2000 AD fan at this date than I was, <laughs> uh, which is D.R. and Quinch Get Drafted, which is 1984. I uh, was surprised. That, oh, goodness me. So, obviously, it's influenced by Apocalypse Now. Uh, but uh, yeah, this is Alan others. Moore's uh, take on the Vietnam War with alien um, uh, aliens on all sides. But it's it's very much a parody of war movies, really, as I recall. And in fact, it's almost direct parody of Platoon, which is weird as it predated it. <laughs> and uh, 86 had uh, The Ballad of Halo Jones, book three. Oh, that is one of the finest comics ever committed to paper. Um, I'll fight anyone who's better than V for Vendetta. But um, don't get me started on Alan Moore. But I, I think both both of these are evidence that there was an idea of, you know, th- this is what it's like. There, there are these tropes that we expect the audience to be familiar with. Yes. Either from Vietnam... seeing Apocalypse Now or I think a lot of people hadn't, hadn't actually seen Apocalypse Now but were vaguely aware of it. 
it, it certainly seemed to be Vietnam for whatever reason, probably because it was one of the first sort of media wars. I think at points where it was, it was basically um, very much unedited or certainly less edited than the Second World War was, kind of transmitted into people's living rooms. It became the war that it was uh, okay to have significant moral qualms about, um, mm. unlike all the other wars in history, which uh, frankly... <laughs> probably equally terrible well certainly were equally well, it, it, more it is terrible. it is not hard to reach the position that nazis are probably bad i mean i realize yes. that's contentious now but in general uh, <laughs> yes it's much harder when we do and it's probably a, a bunch you know, of guys we, who've never heard of us and don't like us very much are invading another bunch of guys who've never heard of us and don't like us very much yes it's well it all and again we've talked kind of off air that probably the philosophy of the Vietnam War is, is a bit outside the edict of the podcast, which we really should be taking at the film. Also, but people the whole... who know a lot more about it than we do. I mean, if you start, exactly. if you start by searching Domino Theory and, and read on from there. Uh, exactly. But it is um, at least a disputed theory, the whole idea of going to the <laughs> Vietnam War. There, there, is, the... there is a very popular board game that entirely relies on it being a real thing. <laughs> is that Twilight, Twilight Struggle? Twilight Struggle, yeah. Oh, that's a good game, actually, um, <laughs> which I'm terrible at. Um, but yes, it for whatever, in the public conscience, uh, for many of those reasons, in fact, it was the war that was, uh, it was okay to hate um, and say was a morally bad war. It was also really uh, around about this time that America, or at least everyone around the world, was telling America that they lost the Vietnam War, which I think mm -hmm. it was never really actually admitted until, well, probably never officially. I don't well, know if it was define officially lost. A, well, <laughs> <laughs> but also, I mean, I think it was never officially a war. It was a police action, but then mm -hmm. that's probably because America's never officially been in a war since the Korean War. Um, but uh, that's that's kind of the background to it, this kind of growing consciousness that it was a morally bad war. It was also... A sort of a generation had grown up. It was the last big war. If you wanted to tell a war story, this was the war you talked about now instead of the Second World War. Yeah, it was also yeah. the, the last substantial war that America had been in, as we said with aliens. Yes. If, if you wanted to go back to the last time America was in combat on a large scale, that was still it. Yes, yeah. So that was your, your kind of go-to. Um, I don't... I, I think as a broader context, I mean... A, a lot of Vietnam War stories, as a consequence, are not about heroics and about bands of brothers and that sort of thing. They're about the morality of war, about the soldiers' experience in conflict. Um, I don't know that... I suppose my first question is, how new was that before Platoon came out? Was that a thought already? I I think it wasn't a new position. All really, quiet on the Platoon Western Front? Took. Well, exactly. But even, you know, Apocalypse Now really took that same position, that it was an insane war. Um, it didn't quite have perhaps the same moral... Well, I don't know, it's very ponderously moral, Apocalypse Now. Um, it didn't quite yeah, have the but, same... But on the other hand, they still didn't get in any cooperation from the army, whereas John Wayne's the Green Berets. It's worth the, talking the about army the Green basically Berets. said, hey, help yourself. We got all these toys. Have fun. Well, let's talk about the Green Beret, because this was 69? I uh, think so, yeah. Towards the, uh, towards the end of the early part of the Vietnam War, I guess you might say. Uh, Vietnam War was like, uh, was it 64 to 73? I forget my date. Uh, 73 Something when America that. left, 75 when the, the final resistance fell. 
goodness, it's almost as if Americans the important bit in the in the <laughs> Vietnam War, um, which may come up later. Um, but the Green Beret was John Wayne's. I have I've seen bits of it. I wanted to watch it for this podcast. Ran out of time due to um, uh, various hearing problems. Same here. Um, uh, but, but this is so, so filmed over the summer of '67, uh, released in '68. He, there are two different reasons to dislike it. Basically, um, okay. at the time, a lot of the film critic establishment was thinking, you know, this is a film that glorifies war, and that is not a film we need right now. Yes, it is also made very ham-fistedly because basically it is John Wayne making a, a standard John Wayne war film. It's a, it's a World War Two film with a different backdrop, isn't it? And and uh, a Fulton Surface to Air Recovery System. <laughs> I love those skyhooks. Don't take mm-hmm. my skyhooks away from me. Um, but that that was one of the things that the army said. Oh yeah, we got these. They're really neat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, physically impossible, but otherwise no, great. no, no. They did actually work. Did they? Yeah, that's a real thing. Oh no, I play. I'm, I'm uh, <laughs> educated by computer games, which use them as something that's physically not possible to do. But I, um, I didn't realise they were actually uh, a possibility. But in um, any case, that that was what you might call the conventional war film treatment. Then, then there was Apocalypse Now, which frankly was a lot more popular. Yes, and I, th- I think people were recovering from really both of those. Um, there was a general feeling... Well, I think Apocalypse Now didn't do terribly well on initial release. No, but it certainly got a, a cult following or Though, a, a lot of critical acclaim. Yeah, but but in film studio maths, the opening weekend is all. I mean, it wasn't quite as much in the early 80s as it is now, but the feeling was very much, if people didn't go and pay to see it in the cinemas, then it wasn't a success, no matter how much money we made later. Which may be another reason why there weren't many Vietnam films for... 10 there is years definitely afterwards. that feeling of you you do not make a film with anything that is associated with failure i mean after after john carter of mars was first retitled to john carter and then just failed it was felt that the term mars was toxic uh, right yes yeah um oh these poor executives they could have something to do so platoon tested the water to yeah. some extent in like oliver stone had I mean, this is... So we'll talk about Platoon, I guess, as it was chronologically the first. Mm. This is Oliver Stone's, uh, frankly, probably autobiographical... Um, I think he's admitted it's at least semi-autobiographical. As a director, he had previously made, uh, let's see, Seizure, The Hand and Salvador, none of which I have seen. I think he was offered whatever film he wanted, and he decided to make Salvador before Platoon. Um which but, is another war drama, so yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's about. Uh, well, it's about El Salvador, um, but um, it uh, I, it was a surprise because Platoon is probably his most personal film. Maybe he wanted the experience first, or regardless, it was in. I think Platoon is possibly specifically a reaction to the Green Berets. Um, it was certainly on Oliver Stone's mind when he when he wrote <laughs> the film and when he came out um, that he wanted. Um, to show the reality of war. So Platoon... And he, he wrote a screenplay uh, in 68 called Break, which was even right. more, um, you know, this is, this is how, how my experiences with my parents, my experiences in the war. Okay. Uh, and he felt it, he, that, that never got produced, but he, he certainly felt that, that, was a ver- that the combination was a very formative time for him, which, you know, fair enough. 
Yes, I mean, he went on to do another two Vietnam films. And in fact, most of his other films have at least referenced or touched upon Vietnam and that era of politics, including Wall Street, JFK. Um, So Platoon is, uh, well, it's a story of a platoon in Vietnam. It's Chris, the green recruit, arriving for his tour of duty. And we follow him through his tour of duty um, meeting. Yes, it's a really interesting choice, I think. And I'm certainly not going to say it's a bad one. Um, We don't know who he was before. We don't know what his basic training was like. We start when he arrives. We end when he leaves. That is is that chunk of his life. The whole story is uh, in-country, as is, uh, I guess, is the term. In Vietnam, in, in Vietnam War circles. Um, yeah, it's been a uh, we, good I mean, year for the war buffs. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it, I mean, we do learn a bit about him. We learn that he volunteered. We learn that he was, he's uh, from a different socioeconomic class to a lot of the people there, it's mm. fair to say. Um, in that he was better educated um, and, uh, and, and kind of wanted to find out what it was and could have avoided the draft, but didn't. Um, well, he didn't avoid the draft, he volunteered. Or at least um, maybe he could have waited a bit longer. Yes, certainly. Um, and it's... Uh, I suppose I, I'm struggling for the context. It had, had there been another war film like this, and I suppose the closest one would be the one with his dad in, um, <laughs> Apocalypse Now. But that's a, it's still a very different beast. Uh, Apocalypse Now is um, kind of mythic and grand on a very large scale. Um, and... Uh, well, it, it, it's a um, it's a picaresque. It's there, yes. there is, as I think we said, there, there is the overall story, but it's basically look at this, look at that, look at the other, and then we move well, on. I mean, you, you Whereas could th- argue this is you can't bit... you, you can't move on from it. That's the thing. He's stuck with the same people. Well, that's true. That's a very good way of putting it. It is a series of events, but what we're really following is the characters, and by the characters we mean the American soldiers, the Viet Cong, in, indeed the Vietnamese at all have pretty much zero presence in this except as victims in one I memorable don't think scene. any of them get names no and and the Viet Cong particularly um are uh just shadows in the night really and they they are the unseen enemy and and as uh he uh, chris says right in the closing narration we weren't fighting the enemy we were fighting each other and that's really what platoon is about the moral uh, the moral dilemma of not so much of war on a grand scale, but of loyalties and friendships and, and buddiness um, on this very close. There's day. also the what I think of as, as related to the mob mentality. You know, the the guy who is the big powerful leader is doing this thing, which normally I might regard as bad. But he is the big powerful leader, and I want to be in his gang, not the other gang. Yes. And, you know, this is a person you wouldn't associate... Um, Here we're talking about um, Tom Berridge's character, um, Barnes. Uh, I guess he's the character that would, in this kind of life-or-death situation, you associate with someone like that, even though, you know, he's got ethically dubious... Um, I I don't want to go down the evolutionary psychology route, but there is a a lot of human behaviour which you can model as we are basically a band of apes. (laughs) <laughs> um, well, it's surprisingly, and I think, okay, I'll go back to my very, I was uh, I was slightly dreading doing a Vietnam-a-thon, because I thought it would be too draining, it would be too depressing, it would be too hard, um, because I've seen uh, actually all of these films before, mm. um, 
And Platoon, I remember particularly as being a hard watch and very um, depressing. I I was surprised to find it not so, or at least not so much this time, because there were no surprises for me. I, You know, we knew the soldiers were a mixed bag. Mm. I, I kind of knew there was a very dualist view of kind of good and evil, surprisingly on the nose, but we can talk about. Um, but the actual bad stuff that happens, the village scene, which I was oh, just... Uh, curdled me and, and, and haunted me for days after I saw it the first time. Well, you know, I've read about the My Lai Massacre now, and this was not that. Um, hmm. uh, well, that, that's, I, I think, a, a thing of context. At the time, it, it, was a, it was a word that, it was a term that people knew, but I think most people weren't particularly familiar with the really, frankly, horrible details. No, uh, or the scale of it. So, you know, this is, uh, you know, in sheer numbers, you know, hundreds of people died at my lie. Um, uh, and, you know, the, the, the kind of fragging of soldiers by other soldiers uh, is less shocking to me now. Um, mm. And it is certainly not the first war that this happened in. Um, I was surprised no, that again, I was less... it's the one where it got into popular culture. Exactly, it's the one. Well, I think, did fragging come from the Vietnam War? Is that uh, the term, at least? I mean, it may yeah. have been in use before, but but it was where people heard of it from. So I was a little surprised that I was less shaken up by it. And so then taking a step back, I actually felt it was quite a simplistic story, Platoon, of, of all the three we watched. It's not tremendously complicated. It's, it's not, uh, I, I'm not sure I entirely agree with its kind of very good and evil view. Mm. Uh, or, or it seems a bit. I, I don't disagree. It just seems a little on the nose. It seemed seemed, seemed a little obvious and obviously drawn. Yeah, I, I, I certainly found it simplistic. Um, I mean, all right, we, we've got beyond the point of Americans are good guys and Vietnamese are bad guys. Yes, but we still have basically good Americans and bad Americans, and you're not you're not really any doubt yeah. as to who's on which side. Yes, exactly, and basically people take sides, and there are it's a, it's a film where there are goodies and baddies, really. Um, mm-hmm. And the film does kind of manipulate you to the point where you know when Chris shoots Barnes at the end, you know which side the film is on. You know, there's no question there that um, the film is like, oh, this is a morally dubious thing. This is a righteous killing in Platoon, and I feel yeah, though, though it has been shown that. Well, he is certainly not a good guy. He is effective. Yes. I mean, he is the guy who stops the misdirected artillery strike, for example. He, and he, he is competent. Care... Yeah, I think it does a good shout in, in rounding out Barnes as a as a good baddie, as a believable baddie, but clearly a baddie. Um, hmm. And, and I, I, as I say, I think the film's pretty unambiguous about which side it is on, even though, it, yes, it's fair to... Barnes's philosophy and, and gives him a chance to explain it and shows his competency. But also, you know, Elias is also, you know, the the, the, the light side of the coin is also mm. something of a super soldier. In fact, they're both slightly unbelievable super soldiers. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I wasn't there. I don't know. <laughs> we would always suggest. Um, it, it just feels a, slightly on the realms of fantasy or at least slightly mystical for a fairly realistic war film, um, uh, which, which took me out of it a little bit, yeah. I suppose. One thing that did strike me as, as a bit more subtle is the portrayal of the lieutenant. I mean, he's green. Yes. 
He's, but he is at least medium competent. He's he's not completely lost, even even though he does screw up. Yeah. And that that whole situation of, yes, I know perfectly well this is an impossible situation, but I don't get to tell the general it's impossible, so you don't get to tell me it's impossible. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's a nice, well-rounded because he is. He's a very neutral figure. He's really just trying to get through the war. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's not interested in the power play. In, in the men below him, and he, he makes some token efforts to connect. I, yeah, he's an interest. I, I think all the characters here are well drawn and interesting. Probably more, well, certainly more than Full Metal Jacket, I think. Uh, but but they are, you know, you get to know all these characters, and you get to know what they're about. You get to like them. Frankly, this is my yeah. They're, they're, they're not the th- subtle and complex characters, but you no. can at least work out what their thing is. I think we talked about, you know, on a number of... Uh, it depends on what sort of film you're going for, but with a big ensemble cast, I, I think so long as you have well-acted mm. two-dimensional characters, <laughs> then I think yeah, that's you, probably Yeah, you don't have time to introduce everybody, that's fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I think these characters are memorable. I uh, Should we talk about the action sequences? How did you feel this yeah. compared, the, the war... I, I, I realised a, a basic tension here because, on the one hand, the, these are mostly not uh, very experienced soldiers. I mean, some of them have been there for a while, but they're not yeah. serious veterans. So portraying the firefights as basically confusing is yeah. an entirely reasonable thing to do. Mm. On the other hand, it means you it's quite hard to tell what the tactics are, where there are tactics. It's quite hard yeah. to say, that guy got accidentally hit by friendly fire. Or yes. that guy was shot by the enemy, or yeah, and and having having the red bandana really helps a lot to work out. You know, <laughs> the, yeah, this is Chris. Yeah, I mean, I think it is a deliberate move, isn't it, on Oliver Stone's part that this is actually what battles like it's utterly confusing. You don't know what's going on, which I think is a very good point. But as you say, the effect of that is that you're quite often confused and not sure what's going on <laughs> during <laughs> the combat sequences. Um, which, from a narrative point of view. Is is disempowering, I think. Yes, yeah, it, it's because we're not the soldier. I, I think some of that would have been helpful with some better explanation, because it doesn't then go out of its way after the action is finished to really explain what's happened. Then the soldiers very quickly work out what's gone on, hmm. and you're left behind trying to catch up what a, a bit what's just happened here. Who got shot? Who was he? Oh, he was that guy. I don't remember him. Um, which is yeah, that's endemic of some war films, and I I don't yeah. think that's a fault of the direction as it was deliberately done, but a little more handholding maybe I would have appreciated. <laughs> and of course, uh, I I think we we have to mention the best line never actually spoken, which would Tell have been me. Elias's last line. <laughs> yeah, what would he, that he, mean? he is clearly just about to say, "You ain't got the guts." Exactly, yes. You mean and Barnes it turns out, he do- sorry, yes. And and it does turn out, yeah, he does have the guts. <laughs> yes, yeah, he's got the expression on his face. He's pretty confident it's not going to happen. Um, yes, that is that is my finest unspoken line in, in cinema. Um, it's got, and, and again, to be honest, I'm with it. I'm with Chris at that time. He, he does deserve it. Um, but it's it doesn't dwell on the morals of that, perhaps in a way that I... Had thought about, as I say, it came down more heavily on the side of Chris than I remembered. Hmm. The, the, um, the and... scene that really struck me as most effective was the immediate aftermath of that big battle. Um, 
here, here, here is normality come back around you, or at least normality yes. by Vietnam standards. But you know, here, here is the rescue force. But yes. you really aren't ready to be in normal, in even that level of normality again. Uh, yes, I agree. It yeah, there, there are these people moving around and saying things, and eventually this is going to make sense. But right now, no, it really doesn't. And that, We've that just is been through this portrayed. enormous thing with Chris, and suddenly, yeah, we're being dragged back before you know it, he's on a helicopter heading home. Mm-hmm. And you, you feel that huge sense of confusion and distress, like the world has shifted. So how could the world suddenly be the same? After that, yeah, that is a. I think that's very deliberately done and very. Yes, I'm, I'm, done I'm sure that was one of Stone's uh, points about the war in general, but about that battle in particular, it comes through extremely clearly. And uh, yes, even without the rest of the film, I think it would be worth it for that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I, I am a. I mean, it wouldn't be my favourite film. I'm, I'm not going to watch this again and again. I, I, I'm not. Well, I'm not I, huge... I wouldn't with any of them, to be honest. No, that's that's true. Um, I suppose this does go again, you know, we've touched on this before. How do you make a war, an anti-war film and make war, you know, show war, but make it an anti-war film? Because war by its nature is kind of thrilling and exciting. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Oliver Stone was trying to do that here in that he makes it like, well, this combat is not fun. It's disjointed. It's scary. People die. You don't know what's happening. And it almost succeeds, but there are mo- still moments um, Unlike Apocalypse Now, which, you know, you do get caught up with the Wagner and uh, Colonel Kilgore, <laughs> um, it doesn't really glamorise it. Um, I mean, I think it misses out the, the kind of the boredom of a lot of war, because, yeah. because it's not trying to display that. It's trying to fast forward to all the emotional moments. But I do think it, it comes close to not glamorising war and, and making it look pretty bad. Um yeah, Even though... my my reaction to one of, one of the early scenes was, yeah, hell is patrolling through the jungle forever, waiting for the ambush. Oh God, yes, uh, yes, exactly, yeah, and it, it really does get that claustrophobic sense of, I can't take this anymore. I'd rather they just attacked mm-hmm. um, than deal with this tension. Um, I do I, again. Now, and this is something true to all of the films. I have since. I've listened to a lot of Dan Carlin's hardcore history. I know a lot mm. about the Ostrunt now. I know about the war in the Pacific and the, uh, frankly, almost unimaginable horrors of those wars and pretty much any other war, including Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And I fear that's why I was a little surprised how tame Platoon is along any of those fronts. I, I mentioned the village massacre, um, but, you know, any of the fights, the deaths, the degree of frank, you know, this is a real struggle, you know, when the fragging happens, it's a huge battle. And, you know, in reality, some of these things were just, you know, it just happened because someone said the wrong thing at the wrong time. Lots of people died for no reason. Lots of soldiers were shot outside because you didn't know which side the VCs were coming from. I guess what I'm saying is it it, it does show the horror of war, but it is still very light compared to the actual mm. horror of true war. What, um, one, one book I would mention in, in the context of this, by the way, is Robert Mason's Chicken Hawk. Uh, right. He was a Huey pilot uh, until he went a bit mad. Okay. And... There is probably a certain amount of fictionalisation built into it, though it is, in theory, all this stuff that happened to him, and much of it is probably true. Um, but it, it does, of the relatively short fiction, it does the best job I've come across of giving an impression of, we just don't know why we're here, and occasionally yeah. we get to go and do exciting things. Okay, yeah, it's just... 
um, an insane one. Oh, we haven't really talked about the performances in Platoon. What did you think about the the actors? Really, I thought Charlie Sheen was the only one who who really came through as a solid, you know, three dimensional performance. Yes. Um, yeah. th- this being his first big film role, he had had a minor role in Red Dawn. He he may have been in Apocalypse Now and Badlands as a kid, but nobody's really quite sure. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was certainly on the set, if nothing else. Yeah. And uh, yeah, these days he's an eleven truth and an anti-vaxxer, so what can you do? But well, uh, let's not talk about Charlie Sheen. But, now, but here, they? here, his performance is pretty good, I think. I yes, mean, I agree. This, I think this he's is very... somebody who doesn't really know what to expect. Uh, discovers it is frankly terrifying, but holy crap, I'm stuck here anyway. So. Yeah. So I've got to get with it or die. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, yeah, it, it's an ensemble cast. I, I don't think there's a weak link, particularly. No one stands out to me as a. Oh, I don't, but they're, they're all very good. It's nice to see um, Keith. Uh, is it Keith David from The Thing? Turn uh, up as again. King, yeah. Uh, yes. Um, an early Johnny Depp performance. We don't need to talk about Johnny Depp nowadays either. Um, he, he doesn't make much of an impression uh, yeah, here. It, yeah, I mean, so, similarly, uh, Forrest Whitaker, whom we'll come back to uh, oh, yes. in this very podcast, is, is in this one. Um, Kevin I Dillon. The, the other character, Kevin Dillon is, uh, is scary, not quite as scary as I recall him from watching <laughs> it the first time. Um uh, because you kind of know people like that, and that's, that's the worrying thing. Um, Tom Berenger's, I, I mean, Tom Berenger and um, Willem Dafoe have slightly harder roles because they're they're more one night. I do think Tom Berenger, you know, that scene in the barracks where he's drunk and goes in and basically offers himself to them, but can't quite because he obviously hates himself too, mm-hmm. but um, but can't quite let them kill him and and i i think that's a very nicely played scene and very nicely done as well and where he's talked out of killing chris it's a good I, they're good performances all around it's a uh it, it's a fast moving film it certainly doesn't drag mm. i don't think um and yeah i i'm less shaken by it now than i was in my youth but it's it is the quintessential vietnam film uh yeah first time about... i've seen it but like you, I was at least vaguely familiar with the general context and the situation is on. So yes, I'm, I'm so not it's... shocked by this. I mean, I can't remember whether, whether we've mentioned this. Um, not not actually all that long ago, somebody pointed out that um, Heart of Darkness was not um, Conrad being inventive. It was Conrad it... reporting stuff he had either seen or had really reliable reports or having of having seen, and then he made up a little bit at the end. Exactly, yeah. It wasn't all metaphor. Heart of it, it, the it the, the critical establishments, of course, dealt with this by completely ignoring it. But... <laughs> exactly, yes. yes. Um, oh, let's not go down the Congo route. That's a, a deeply depressing story. Um, yeah, OK. Uh, Platoon. Um, uh, we'll sum up whether they were masterpieces, masterpieces, I suppose, at the end. But I think overall we both enjoyed it. We both think it's well acted. Well in firm enjoyed loosely, but yeah. Uh, yes, yeah. Uh, if a little simplistic, but certainly has more things to say than Apocalypse Now about Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Um, shall we move on to Good Morning Vietnam? Well, Full Metal Jacket was released next. Okay, let's do it chronologically. Full Metal Jacket, our first Kubrick. I, now, I, I... I tend to start with a positive feeling for Kubrick because I've seen 2001 and enjoyed it. Ah, now, <laughs> <laughs> I do not. I have seen 2001 and uh, don't, didn't enjoy it. I, 
of the Kubrick films, Doctor Strangelove, I like and respect. I, th- I genuinely find it funny. Honestly, it may be heresy. I prefer Failsafe. I prefer it straight than mm. funny. But I can't deny Peter Sellers is amazing. Um, I, tell you, I don't like Doctor Strangelove, the character, that much. But all the other characters he plays it the mandrake and the president are fantastic um the shining i like but don't love all his other films i don't like a clock clockwork orange i don't particularly like 2001 um unusually i don't like eyes wide shut i know <laughs> i know everyone else like, that's mm. a lie everyone hates eyes wide shut um uh i like spartacus i suppose i'll let him have that um i i know it's well, a cliche let's point out this was his last but one film yeah, he did Eyes Wide Shut after this, didn't he? Yeah, he was and not it, and he died prolific. before that was released. So He was working on AI, wasn't he, that Spielberg did as a weird Kubrick Spielberg. Anyway, yeah. um, I have... I, I know it's a cliche, but it's genuinely true. I find Kubrick emotionally cold, um, very clinical, and I don't connect with his characters now when those characters have warmth and personality and when he's trying to be funny he can do it which you know some directors of that type can't um but uh full metal jacket just embodies that for me i I, I would argue that that is the perfect director for the first half of the film let's be precise and say the first 40 odd percent of the film well the the first 40 percent of the film i genuinely enjoy um because that is r lee ermy's performance is just mesmerizing and has some of my favorite insults ever committed to celluloid there is no holds barred he just does not get it's incredibly inappropriate um i suppose my problem so it is a film you could either say of two halves or three thirds um with the very saggy middle bit um (laughs) but i think i'm not going to be controversial to say we both agree after the boot camp, there's there's not much. The boot really. camp is the bit that is why I'm going to say this is a masterpiece, and then there's the other yeah. stuff, which is okay. Yeah, I, th- I think I so. We 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 we're in accord there. I suppose my problem with the boot camp, I mean, the whole purpose, the whole purpose of the boot camp scene is to show, or the whole boot camp story is to show the dehumanisation mm. of these it, people. It doesn't matter how you give in, you are yeah. just going to give in in some way, and that's what they yes. need. I just, I, for me, I would have preferred a little hint of their humanity beforehand. They start as quite dehumanized. The closest yeah, we, we get, we have to no them, real idea who they were before. No, and they are, they're hard to distinguish. You know, the the closest we get to uh, this is their human scene. You know, the opening scene is them all getting their hair shaved off, mm-hmm. and that I feel is the closest we get to these are what these people were like before. And I, uh, I'm sure I, that's a arguably the, choice. But yeah, the point is to replace that any prior individuality they might have had uh, with brotherhood. Yes, I, I'm prepared to accept I'm being unreasonable because it does work. I, I did get. I mean, this is forty uh, percent of the film, as you said. I would say ninety plus percent of the lines mm. in this part are shouted. <laughs> very loudly at people uh, and, and the vast majority of the dialogue from everyone other than Arlie Ermey uh, is, sir, no sir that's pretty much <laughs> all everyone else says for the whole film and I found myself craving those little moments of humanity and I think probably that's a deliberate choice on Kubrick, Yeah, I, I very think tiny moments of humanity. One of the humanity. things he's saying here is that there, there is no relief from it 
Yeah. You, you are stuck here. This so. is it. You're just going to get shouted at by this man until... Uh, until you are... Uh, I, and one scene really effective is the um, the pride he has in Lee Harvey Oswald and the, mm-hmm. the Texas... Uh, oh, it's faded from memory a little bit since all the other spree killings, I'm afraid, uh, and, <laughs> and mass shootings. But the, the guy who went up to the Texas clock tower and, and shot a load of people um, and the pride that he has... Oh, that... uh, yeah, I've forgotten the guy's name, but yeah. Well, well that's different. The reason is, because there have been many more since, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But the pride he has that... Not what they did, because that doesn't matter. It's how skilled they were at doing it. Technical um, competence. Yeah, and that's a really powerful scene. I thought. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, so it's it's it's. Very... I, I, I think some of that is is pushing in the same direction. You know, the, these guys were not your heroes, but now they can be because this is the army. Well, all right. Yeah, Marines, exactly. But... Yeah. Yeah, the morals don't. Doesn't matter. You kill. It's all about. And I, it's interesting. It helps to explain a lot of war in general. You know, if this is because Ali Ermi was, I, I think he genuinely was a uh, a drill sergeant in the Marines, wasn't he? Um, mm-hmm. and, and presumably was doing some of his old shit. If this is how you dehumanize your troops and dehumanize the enemy, and then send them into combat then inhuman things will result. And to be surprised mm. that soldiers do that afterwards, I, I feel that I, I always find that a little strange, that uh, look what these soldiers did. Well, that is a consequence of treating people like this, of treating the enemy like that. And if you're not prepared for that to happen, don't go to war, because that's what will happen yeah, to Yeah, I mean, the, the ultimate objective is that you're trying to turn functioning human beings into people who will not only kill the enemy but won't destroy themselves afterwards yes exactly and that takes brainwashing um Mm. uh which is what we see for a good uh hour it's not quite an hour is it and it is a very fascinating i I mean it's hard to say well acted because there isn't a lot of acting goes on i mean these are just (laughs) uh they're not yeah they're like drones and they're treated like drones yeah, um, they they, then... they did originally have another actor in mind. Uh, they had had uh, Ermi as a technical consultant, and he he put together an instructional tape where where he was shouting at a bunch of extras to show the the actual actor. I think it was uh, Tim Corseri, uh, oh, how, right. how to do it. And then Kubrick saw the tape and thought, no, "I want this guy." Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I mean he is astonishing. It's an astonishing performance, and he he was in many other things as well, Arleo. But I, here the, he is this just... this was his first big film role, I think. Yeah, I think it made him as an actor, and he he, he had much less shouty. And he, he he is actually in Apocalypse now. Is uh, he as one of the helicopter pilots? It's an uncredited role, uh, but this wow. is, this is I think you know film role number five for him. And then after this, they all took off, which you know, fair enough. Fair enough. He is mesmerising, and so is there Vincent Don uh, Donofrio. D'Onofrio, who is now more famous as the Kingpin, Marvel's Kingpin in the Marvel film. Um, but uh, he's very good here. Uh, I don't, the, the switch at the end, right at the end, it's a very self-contained story. Well, uh, as I see the it, the, the, there is the tension in this, because, I mean, all right, A, a we don't know who, if we haven't seen it before, we don't know who the survivors are going to be, Yeah, who's going to be coming out and into the second half of the film. But even without that, it, it's... Is he going to be the Barnes type killer who enjoys it? Yeah. Or is he going to get some, find some other way out? And well, he finds some other way out. 
Well, I suppose, so we, after this very self-contained and a gripping story, the film then loses a lot of focus and it doesn't really seem to connect back. The behaviour of the troops afterwards is not the behaviour of them in the boot camp. They are. Mm. They then revert back to soldiers we've seen on screen in any other situation, really. Irreverent um, and uh, joking and just the same type of characters we've seen in any other war film. Yeah, it doesn't feel as if they've been through that whole thing and recovered. No. It feels as if they're just the way these things go. I mean, clearly that some time has passed... Um, but it just, it's very disjointed. And then the whole middle section, of, uh, to me it was uh, three-thirds. We have the, the final section with the, the sniper mm. uh, and the patrol. And then the middle section, which is just, uh, it has the Tet Offensive. Um, but it's, I don't know, it doesn't really, there's nothing There's nothing about the Vietnamese in there. That, that we, we meet some Vietnamese prostitutes. Thieves and prostitutes, uh, yeah. Uh, we see the soldiers being... Soldiers to each other, uh, except that unlike Platoon, I didn't really know. Uh, I mean, we've met Matthew Modine's character Joker before, but we know nothing about him because he was just a drone in that first part. Mm. Um, so we don't feel a lot of connection to him. And th- this is my problem with Kubrick. That it- it's just things happening that just leave me utterly cold. And only- Even when we have a-, a scene with a helicopter pilot shooting civilians, uh and you know bragging about how he kills children um and women and just you know aims a bit closer mm-hmm. it it leaves me cold it just it doesn't feel like it's earned that glibness um in a way that platoon did yeah if you had a fellow feeling there if you if you could show that this guy is doing that because it's the product of his training and yeah. we the viewpoint characters have been through the training too and so we can see how that would go together if it yeah. basically if um Lawrence had come out of it as the killer as opposed yes. to the suicide that yes. might actually have worked better I think for, I, for I the film as a whole needed... as opposed to for the yeah I agree he's the most interesting and I don't think you needed that kind of suicide at the end of boot camp to have still been shocked and dehumanized by it um I think it would have worked without that postscript um I completely agree, yes. If we had, uh, um, uh, oh, I've forgotten the character's name, but Vincent, um, Lawrence. Uh, Go uh, on. Lawrence. Yeah, I, I think that's a very good idea. I, you've certainly felt we understood him and learned more about his connection than we do with Joker, who is then the protagonist for the rest of the film. Mm. And the other guy who was at boot camp, whose name I've forgotten, that ends up in commands. But again, it just, I, he, he, uh, cowboy. You're a, Cowboy, you remember him because he was the other one that had glasses on in boot camp. That's about <laughs> all I could remember. But there was he had no personality then. I did, uh, I did find the end that the sniper and the sequence where you know they're they're caught out and they're getting shot and Cowboy is desperately trying to say this is a trick. This is what you, they want you to do. Do not go out there, mm-hmm. and they do anyway. I thought that was very effective. I found that. Interesting and well acted, and unlike yeah, and, Stone, and now we know that uh, Adam Baldwin as Jane in Firefly had basically done this all before. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, I, I wasn't aware of that when I saw Firefly. So I had forgotten it until I watched this again. But yes, he's basically Jane, uh, only less quippy. Um, uh, I, I uh, unlike that, that could have been Stone, Arnie. He was offered the part, but he turned it down to do the Running Man instead. <laughs> oh, really? Well, that would have been uh, distracting. Yeah. Um, I did find the 
combat sequence is much more easy to understand yes. in this. They I, were I well... was wondering whether maybe... It, this is where I say it's a tension, because I was wondering sometimes whether it was a bit too clear. Yeah, I agree. Because it's I, very I... obvious that we are here, and the enemy is over there, and therefore this is the cover that is useful that we don't want to go out from behind. Yeah. It, it didn't have any of the confusion. It so showed I, the soldiers I, I, being confused. Either I'm wanting two incompatible things, or there is a happy medium, which none, neither of these films has hit. Well, the other... Yes, I completely agree with you. I, I found... Yeah, did I find it... I appreciated being able to follow it, though, because I was unengaged otherwise by yeah, the film. Yeah, particularly that, that, the final um, duel against the sniper inside the building. Yes. Uh, I don't know quite what was that was. It was very obvious what was going on, and maybe it should have been a bit more yeah. subtle, secretive, not quite sure who's there. I don't know. Yes, I think a little uh, fog of war would have helped a bit there, perhaps. And... The final moment where Joker shoots the sniper, it, it seemed to uh, build it up like this huge moral moment that I don't know that the film really earned. I mean, to me, she's asking, I don't know, maybe I have a twisted sense of morals. She's dying. She's going to die. She's asking to be shot. To me, that is, I, I'm not saying it would be unaffecting, but it is, you know, far worse moral quandaries have happened I, I think the there, there are the basically two sorts of people. There are the ones who will do it in the moment and then, then have the feels about it afterwards. And there are the ones who have the feels about it beforehand. So it is a plausible thing. But, you know, this guy's shot people before, just not up, yeah. up close and personal. Yeah, so... and I, I don't know I don't know quite what the film was trying to say there. And I I felt uncomfortable that this was built up. It was more difficult because it was a woman. And, I, you know, I found that... It's interesting. It brings it home. Um, I wondered. I vaguely remembered it being. I vaguely remembered it being a child, actually, from watching it the first time. Um, but it's. I don't know quite what. It left me flat. Anyway, I didn't feel. I didn't know enough about Joker to know why he was going through this. I didn't know whether he was happy or sad about it afterwards. I got the impression mm. he felt quite happy about it afterwards, but I wasn't quite sure, and I didn't really care, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> by the end of the film. I, I think ultimately. Yeah, I, it would have worked much better as just a boot camp film. And maybe if we had... I would have preferred it a little bit more about them before. But I, ta- I do take your point. The whole no, point he, of it he, is he the unrelenting book, nature. So. Yes, fair enough. But he was pretty free and easy with a lot of the rest. Mm. Of, like he, There was a whole extra bit at the end, I believe, that he just cut off. Yeah. Um, it didn't... It said some interesting things, and I agree. I wouldn't be... I'm extremely glad, and it is one of cinema's great stories the boot camp but the rest of it you don't need i'm afraid it just it doesn't have anything more to say it's not as interesting as platoon in the way it says it um i i I will stick in here roger's aviation corner i mean you knew i was going to um because this this is the one that doesn't have hueys but yeah these are quite distinctive helicopters i noticed that yeah actually the usmc didn't have hueys at the time They, they were the armies Helicopter. Okay. So, so what what they're actually using um, is a Westland Wessex. Uh, Were they is, accurate? Well, what the Marines had was an H thirty four Choctaw, which is basically the same airframe, but a different engine and different avionics and so on. So you know there, there are differences in the shape of the helicopter, but it is the same basic model. So it's not bad, and most people probably wouldn't spot the difference. So it was more accurate than having Hueys um, yes. all over the place. Well, okay. that, that's the thing. I mean, my, my first visceral reaction is. Why aren't they using Hueys? And that is actually the correct decision. 
Okay, yeah, because um, we're so used to seeing Hueys in Vietnam. The, the thing that did strike me, possibly because I've seen a lot of stuff shot there, uh, is Bassingbourne Barracks, uh, which they use for the training camp scenes. Okay. He, he, he's quite distinctive once you start to recognise some of the buildings, which, alas, I am now doing. <laughs> I feel like they got their very best money's worth out of the, out of the sets. because Oh, they, they got a lot of worth out of Becton Gasworks, which they use as well. Yeah. Uh, because it was scheduled to be demolished at the time. So, you know, if you blow some holes in it, that's fine. But it felt like very samey. Like, is this the same from a different angle or what? I, yeah. um, it was interesting. So, I mean, I suppose the other thing is this is urban warfare, which is not something the Vietnam War immediately, it's not your first reaction to how the Vietnam it, it's War. N- it's not the cliche, yeah. Yeah, which is interesting. It's another take on it. But then. I've seen more interesting takes before and since of urban warfare in other war. Basically, the second half of the film feels like a slightly pretentious war film mm. that I've seen in any other, in many other contexts, and been more interested in. Um, sorry, Stanley. Though but, still, but, with, with that Vietnam sense of, you know, maybe we've, we've won this, but what the hell are we here for? Which yes, I think it is does. Just, yeah. It gets that across a bit more obviously, you know, that we have like Vox Pops saying that in Full Metal Jacket. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not totally down on it, um, but uh, not my favourite, um, and very Kubrickian to me. In that, it <laughs> left me left me quite cold. And so on to, on to the third of these, which was a first in that it was the first Vietnam comedy. Yeah, yeah. This is Good Morning Vietnam. The uh, uh, I mean, it's a Robin Williams vehicle. He had been in a number of films before, but no, I think this was his... He was mostly known for TV, uh, Mork and Mindy and that sort of thing. Uh, th- this was, uh, yeah, as you say, he'd been, he'd been in a few film roles, but uh, this was his big breakout. It was film. the one where people realised he had some acting chops, as well as his just doing his stand-up shtick. And this film... I don't know, feels slightly forced in a way, but is also genius in a way of getting him to manage to do both. He does his improvisational stand-up shtick and his uh, his dramatic acting. Um, yeah, and, uh, and it finally lo- allowed people to forget Popeye. <laughs> oh, God. Good old Robert Altman. Um, uh, oh, God. Oh, God, I remembered it now. Um, <laughs> perhaps but, it wasn't as bad, but it he, he does... He does look weird. He does not look like these other people. Um, well, you mentioned, well, for one thing, he's clearly older. Um, yeah, I mean, he was 36 at the time, um, which is not a lot old. But, you know, com- a lot of comedians do that whole rubber face thing. And he looks, to me, very much like his photograph on Wikipedia, which was taken in 2011 when he was 60. <laughs> okay, and this is, yeah. this is very clearly the same guy. Yeah, maybe it's context. Uh, he doesn't look, I guess, unfamiliar with his very youthful Mork and Mindy face. And I agree, he looks like his aged face here. I don't know. I mean, not that that matters, but he does He does stand out. Well, um, yeah, it, it means that he, you know, if, if you see a crowd of soldiers, you can tell which one is him instantly rather than having to look for him. Yes, I agree. Unlike uh, Chris, or um, and certainly unlike... Uh, um, uh, uh, God, I've forgotten the character in Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> uh, Matthew Modine's character, Joker. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is the most uh, conventional film. It, it's a comedy that happens it's to be set comedy. in Vietnam. 
it also feels like many uh Robin Williams did I don't know it feels like many films to me though the only one I can think of offhand is Dead Poets Society but it is um here is a very strict establishment here is a um un unconventional character who has anti-establishment thoughts he will do this and eventually he will get kicked out by the establishment and I'd kind of figure that mm. out almost immediately and that's pretty much exactly what happens in the film so plot wise there were no surprises well it's i I can't say a film of two halves again but it is a film of two plots i mean one of them is basically the robin williams vietnam concert film yes when he's behind the mic yeah uh and and the interaction you know with, with his superiors and so on and the other is this sort of is it a musical maybe romantic tragedy uh, I mean, I, I think I feel like the, it the separate hilarious off. story of how horny this man is. <laughs> I it had to work hard to win me over because he, you know, it starts out as this amusing. Oh my god, here is a random woman that I've seen on the street. I must have her. I, I that is not. Yeah, and she says, "Go and stop bothering me." Isn't that hilarious? Uh, but he persists, uh, and I, I struggle with that because I don't. That is not behaviour that I would either admire or perform myself or an, and so, yeah. but it is played for laughs um what what i think links both halves of these is the man our hero is funny and entertaining and right and everybody who disagrees with him is wrong well that comes onto one of the fun i i don't want to be too uh we may have similar experiences i just I am aware, largely because many, many people have told me and pointed out, he is a virtuoso comedy performer. He's clearly <sighs> quick-witted. To me, I, I'm, I, I don't think I'm a person with no sense of humour. I know you feel you are, Roger. You're not. I, I, I describe myself that way because it's simpler than explaining. And yes. I, I think um, popular culture has caught up with me to some extent. I don't like humour that makes somebody the victim. I don't like, look at the funny man, he's getting it wrong. Yes. Um, well, um that's a good that's a good step because I I don't find I don't find anything he says here in the least bit funny and he spends most of it when he's improvising punching down from my perspective. Uh he has you know he, here's a gay a, person, here's a foreign here's person. A, yeah. He's a car- yeah, exactly. And I it's just not funny to me. It's not it, it, or if he did that but it was it was cruel but it was funny then it's fine. But I just, that didn't I don't know. I don't want to go on about this. There don't seem to be any jokes in it, were there? I mean, it was just like, oh, I'm a gay person. Oh, I'm a fashion designer with a camp voice. Uh, oh, here's an impression of Richard Nixon. I, I'm, I just... I'm an ordinary man and I'm going deaf. That, yeah, that does I mean, work that was the closest to, to a joke, actually. I agree. That was maybe the one that you could filter out and be like, oh, yes, he's gone deaf because he stood next to artillery. I just, I just didn't find it funny. And a lot of the film... It's him doing it and cutting away to all the characters that we're supposed to like pissing themselves mm. and all the characters that we're not supposed to like stony-faced. And because I'm stony-faced during this, that puts yeah. me in a difficult position. <laughs> well, yeah, similarly with my, with my feeling when we were talking about The Breakfast Club. Uh, ob- obviously, that vice principal is meant to be the villain. Yes. But, yeah, he's also a guy who probably doesn't want to give up his Saturday doing this either. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so we're our sympathies with the poor underpaid teacher who has to deal with these 
arsehole kids. So, I mean, um, I, I see that there's that. There's also the, the fetishization of, you know, the normal regular guy, because all the normal regular guys get it. it it's, it's the up-themselves people who don't. Yes, exactly. And here is the the guy trying to do comedy, and it's just not funny. I, I found it. I agree, that wasn't funny, but... I. I didn't find it any less funny. There, there, was a thing, there was a thing that threw me slightly because, you know, we've got, we've got this bit where he, he does that live show when he's just, you know, not going to go back, even though they're letting him. And then he does the live show and he gets his mojo back. Yeah, fair enough. Yes. So, so standard narrative beat. Yes. He gets their names and he reads out their names and he says where they're going. Yeah. That is, is that exactly okay? what the guy said. <laughs> yeah. Um, currently, you know, they, they, then you know the enemy hears that they are going to send they're going to send letters to those people's wives and girlfriends saying so sorry they were killed in action. Yeah. All, all the classic a very things. Very good reason for not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> but Robin Williams does it, and it's it's correct. And it's Which not I even thought, mentioned. Well, I thought there'd be more made of that. Like he would then learn that that whole truck was blown up by the VC or something mm-hmm. to add a bit of pathos. Uh, the the other thing read... that struck me as a bit odd, I mean, you, you mentioned the reaction shots, but also the, here's a random five second clip of a PBR going up river. Here's a random couple of Hueys flying past. Yeah. Now, was ju- it... Just to, so that we're not looking at Robin Williams' face all the time. I agree. It reminds and I, us, I, yeah, I... we're in Vietnam. Well, it took me out of the film because I was wondering, did they film this or is this stock footage? It didn't look like stock footage. Did they pinch it from Platoon? Or um, Yeah, it took me out of it. I completely agree because it was just... And I suppose there was a narrative reason in the sense this voice is being broadcast to these places. But it, that's exactly what it felt like. It was mm. like, yes, here's some footage of elsewhere in the war you may be more interested in. <laughs> and this, kudos to this film. It is the only one of our three that even uh, attempts to show Vietnamese culture and Vietnamese yeah. people um, and does I just so reasonably so, I mean, I'm sure uh, Vietnamese people may look upon it with horror at the, the ham-fistedness of it, but compared to the utter lack of it in Platoon, uh, again, a deliberate choice probably, um, and in Full Metal Jacket, it's nice here to see at least some idea of the impact this conflict is having on the indigenous population. Yeah, e- e- even if our hero Adrian doesn't doesn't really get it until it's point- pounded into him with a, with a sharp stick driven by explosives, that, yeah, they don't actually like the Americans. Even the yes. funny Americans. Even the funny ones like Robin Williams. Um, <laughs> I, well, I think that does... I, I think the film is trying... Perhaps I'm being charitable here, but it's trying to show some character development from this yeah. skirt chasing. Uh, even I suppose my problem is it doesn't. It's not very judgmental about this his early behaviour, and it's unclear whether we're supposed to be rooting for him. I got the feeling we were supposed to think it was funny, mm. um, and we're supposed to be rooting for him. I got I, to say, I, I was, I was wondering, and this is why I was looking up the certificates it got. It, it got an R in, in the US and a 15 in the UK. I was just wondering why does yeah you know, when Twan's first met him, yes. and he's saying you know don't don't chase my sister. Why does he not say the obvious thing? You know, go down this street, you'll meet all the pretty girls you like. I know some of them. I can introduce you. You know, I mean, that's... <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, we did. Did they uh... just not want to mention prostitution? I was wondering whether it was for the rating, but you know, you could do that at a, at an R fifteen. So it it just well struck me as what? Why isn't this mentioned? Well, I feel like it was a slightly. It was almost pushed too far. It was a slightly idealistic view of the Vietnamistic, the Vietnamese people. You know, they were this, uh, they're these, uh, not quite noble savages, but they're this exotic culture that is actually... Ha ha, foreign uh, food. 
yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I don't know if that was played for laughs. In that, I got the Im- impression they gave him something deliberately unpleasant and were then going to laugh at him for doing that. Hmm. But then we have this comedy uh, gay character who owns the bar, um, uh, and and he's putting formaldehyde in the beer. I, uh, I, I think it was a bit clunky. That, that's prob- I... probably more. We have a really crap brewing process, which can't get all the formaldehyde out. But, <laughs> uh, but I, I did appreciate it trying, and I hmm. think it it did it from in a very from a very American perspective. It and is a still very... nineteen eighty seven, after all. Exactly, <laughs> but I, I did appreciate, and it did it from a very uh, uh, film point of view. And I almost certainly was very unrealistic of the portrayal of Vietnamese culture, but it tried. And and I suppose my other problem is, unlike the other, unlike the other protagonists we have, there's nothing flawed about Robin Williams here. You know, he is a hmm. good man. Um, and although he starts off a bit naive and a bit, there, there is no suggestion that if he'd refrained from deliberately baiting his superiors, he might get on a bit better. <laughs> that is obviously <laughs> yes. the case. I, everything he does is right. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, you've talked about it before. So he is a very Hollywood good guy. There's nothing uh, anti-hero about him at all. It, it's um, interesting to, to look at the genesis of this, because I mean, obviously Adrian Cronin, real guy, died in, I think, 2018 uh, or thereabouts, yeah. uh, he, who, who was doing that job in 65, 66. Uh, since 79, he had been shopping a sitcom treatment around. He basically... Um, mash at a radio station uh, right yes um and the, and this eventually ended up with this film uh but very little of that treatment is actually in there and uh, he he basically he wasn't robin williams <laughs> uh well, his a, comment was you know he... if anybody will tell you if i did half the things in that movie i'd still be in leavenworth now <laughs> yeah yeah you know, he, he, was, he not... was a disc jockey he did teach english in his spare time he was not thrown out he did he see did the bombing. Narrowly the, avoid a, a the, bombing. I yeah, think, that, that was the closest it comes. He he did clash with the censors when he wanted to report it, but he didn't teach slang. He didn't get blown up in a jeep. He was a he's card also, carrying a Republican. I was about to say he's also a staunch <laughs> Republican, which does not come across in Robin Williams's portrayal. Um, and I think has confused some Democratic politicians who tried to recruit him um, <laughs> uh, to be on their side. Uh, but that's fine. Uh, we're not here to. It's just. Uh, no, it's it's not... just interesting to see how much it has changed from the script that that guy would obviously have written, and the treat well treatment rather than the script. Um, yes. To what is essentially a Robin Williams concert film. It's, it's, I looked at a couple of contemporary reviews, and whether people liked it or not, and most of them did like it, uh, the, the feeling was very much, we've got a Robin Williams concert film here, and that is a good thing. And then yeah. we've got this other plot, and that is a bit rubbish. Well, you know, we have this final confrontation with um, his Vietnamese friend. I don't know, it feels a bit like a damp squib, really. It just goes and shouts at him. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a very glorified. He is not so much a terrorist in the film as a freedom fighter, which I guess is a, a an interesting take uh, on a Vietnamese terrorist for an American comedy film. Um, but this is a film yeah, that looks I, fairly I, benignly on everyone who isn't establishment military. I, any, anybody who knows better is welcome to write in and correct me. But I think this was the first fictional film about Vietnam. Uh, that actually tried to portray the VC as something other than the faceless enemy. Yes. Uh, again, certainly... Well, I'm Hollywood aware of it. Film, and, obviously. And I greatly 
I greatly appreciate it because I, you, re I really feel their absence. I think deliberately so in Platoon and Full Metal Jacket. I don't, I don't know quite, quite what, uh, uh, but in Platoon, well, more, more so in Full Metal Jacket, where we do meet some Vietnamese civilians as opposed to just the enemy. Yes, and they are um, whores and uh, chances, basically. Mm. Um, I mean, okay, very briefly in Platoon, it's very brief, so. Yeah, um, uh, I suppose in Platoon we have the My Life scene. I, I shouldn't call and it. And they're basically the enemy. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. But it's a, it's a sympathetic view in some ways. But it's yeah. Platoon is not about the Vietnamese at all. Mm. It's about the Americans. Sure. And I do appreciate Good Morning Vietnam uh, at least portraying them. Uh, it, it's at least trying to, yeah. And I think ultimately for me, the film... It's a it's a very by the numbers Hollywood film in a lot of ways, and as such, it's a fairly easy watch. Uh, yeah, I, I think the thing Barry Levinson does for uh, across much of his career is give him a relatively simple, undemanding thing like a comedy. Yes, and it's in and it's set in Vietnam, and you've got a comedian to to anchor it, and and he will you know crank the handle and put out put out a film which is nothing amazing. Yeah, but it's but it's you know good workman like stuff, and that, that is not a bad thing. Oh just, yeah, you, you, it's, it's, you don't expect to be impressed with the, with the direction. I, uh, I mean, certainly the plot direction. I could have predicted that from five minutes in. Uh, it's not, it's not. I mean, obviously not all the nuances, but there weren't that many nuances to begin mm. with. Um, but uh, it's it's an interesting film. I did appreciate it. Yeah, trying to tell the Vietnamese story. Uh, it's unfortunate that I just. Don't you know this is Robin Williams improvising, and then he he cut all his best bits together, which makes me wonder what like happened on the what is on the cutting room floor if those are his best bits. But maybe that is just me. Uh, maybe that's just us. Maybe it's being English. I, I've never particularly found Robin Williams funny. I have found him an extremely good actor. I'm not sure that's the case here. I don't know that I see him particularly stretching his acting chops here. He's just being a very amiable yeah. Robin Williams with some realisations. But uh, we had Forrest Whitaker in again. Yeah. Much to say yeah, about him. In a ra him. rather larger role. Um, yes. Well, I mean, he's the lead acolyte. The, yeah. the script makes him that. He, he, tries to, he does a bit with it. Yeah, I don't know that we have any standout acting before. Everyone does the job they have to do to make the film tick along. Um, I, I, I found the general kind of weird. I mean, why is he dealing with these extremely low-ranking people in the first place? Yes. Answer, because we have a small cast. But, <laughs> yes. But, uh, uh, yeah, Noble Willingham, uh, whom I don't think I've seen him. And he, he, he's he's well, yeah, a jobbing actor. Uh, he's been at a whole bunch of stuff, most of which I've never seen. And the um, uh, the the uh, sergeant Ma major sergeant is it? The, uh, he's in, been in loads of things. Jackie um, Walsh, yeah. No, the other one, the one above him. Uh, the uh, oh, uh, forget his name, but he's always a, a stock bad character. Um, oh, what's his name? I'm going to have to do a quick Google. Uh, Dick, um, Dickerson, the one, the one who's just opposed to that is Walsh. Uh, what's his name? Walsh. Uh, no, I was. Um, oh, this is not good audio. Sorry, I will. But he's um. Oh no, never mind. Never mind. It'll, it'll come back to me. Um, and perhaps you're right, and I just don't recognise the name. Anyway, Good Morning Vietnam. Um, yeah, it's all right. I I enjoyed it. It was certainly different. I think we picked three 
that considering they're all about the same conflict, I really do think they highlight three different things. Mm. Um, of all of them, I suppose Good Morning Vietnam feels like the most unrealistic. Um, but it's, it shows the Viet Cong in an interesting... Well, not the Viet Cong at all, but the Vietnamese people in an interesting way. Platoon is my... Not the most enjoyable, but my most favourite. I followed the characters more. It certainly had emotional moments for me when Elias is shot, um, when uh, Barnes is killed. When uh, it, it's a it's a good film with interesting things to say, and it feels it feels like it comes from the heart. I'm sure it's very mm. embellished, but it really does feel like Oliver Stone was trying to say something here about his experiences. Yeah, and for me. The first forty percent of good metal of full metal jacket, uh, yeah, and yeah. the rest a... is okay. But you know, the the they, the first bit makes it worth it. Uh, look, yeah. Looking uh, briefly at the box office, uh, so Platoon uh, made up about one hundred thirty nine million. Right. Full Metal Jacket forty six. Good Morning Vietnam one hundred twenty four. There's some argument about those because you know Hollywood accounting. But basically, Platoon was was one of the big films of eighty six. Good Morning Vietnam one of the big films of eighty seven. Uh, if you subtract the budgets, then Full Metal Jacket um, only made a profit of about sixteen mil, whereas the others were quite cheap to make. So right, uh, yeah, okay. That was, oh, wow! Well, so we, Full we, Metal Jacket was the most expensive. I mean, it's very well shot. I, I'm not arguing about Kubrick's skills as a filmmaker. I just he leaves me cold. I'm, yeah, but he he ate up thirty million dollars. So. Yeah, exactly. He's something of a perfectionist. Um, uh, ju- just mentioning in passing, uh, though, we won't give, I'll, I'll give it a full review on the blog. Uh, Hamburger Hill. Uh, oh yes. Really, because it's the closest thing out of any any of these. Uh, again, it's eighty seven. Uh, it's the closest thing to just a straight war story. Right. Yeah. Um, so this just follows one platoon doing one action. In yeah, Vietnam. I mean, we, we we get the new guys arriving in the platoon at the beginning, but mostly it is the one battle and almost everybody dies. No right, spoilers yeah. there. Uh, and, you know, if aliens didn't exist... <laughs> but uh, aliens does exist. Um, um, I, the, I have seen Hamburger Hill, don't remember it tremendously well. The, the uh, director, uh, John Irvin, said that it was actually ready to be released before platoon... But then Paramount said, "Okay, let's see how Platoon goes." Let's just and how did Hamburger Hill do? It made even less, I think, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, also it, it then got pushed back after um, Full Metal Jacket because that came uh, right, up next. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, it, it took in uh, fourteen mil. I don't know what the production budget was. Uh, and so, I mean, other Vietnam films that there've been um, Casualties of War. There was Michael J. Fox and Sean Penn. As much more. Um, about the moral thing. I remember very much enjoying that, though I've a feeling it probably is very Hollywood if I look back on it now. Oliver Stone's done two further films, one about returning from the Vietnam War on Born of the Fourth of July, and one actually from the point of view of the Vietnamese people. I think is that Heaven and Earth? Uh neither of which I've seen. Mm. Um uh, The, the only one of these I I had seen before was Good Mimic Vietnam, which I saw in the cinema. But Vietnam is sort of off the radar now. We're back into World War Two. Ever since Spielberg Saving Private Ryan, we've been having <laughs> World War Two films. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what... And, and then we seem to have skipped to Gulf the Gulf as being the go-to conflicts to go back to nowadays. Um, or Afghanistan. Um, and there have been a number of films, none of which... I've where where they got a bit more control of the media again. 
Uh, yes, exactly. So that Vietnam was the war where you, the war in your living room, I guess. Um, uh, I, and again, uh, as, I, as opposed to Gulf of War, which was the smart bomb in your living room. <laughs> uh, yes, um, and you know, I, I don't think Vietnam was any, uh, as far as a humanitarian disaster goes, it was probably no worse or no better than any other war. Um, it's just the one that became the one where people the, the curtain got morality. ripped to shreds a lot more effectively than it has been before or since. I think. I think the re- there's a reason it hasn't been done since. It's because of the protests against the Vietnam War, which means we will be unlikely to be granted that degree of access again to a war. But there we are. Um, masterpieces, were they? Um, well, yeah, one and a half, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> one point, platoon 1. and a half of Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, yeah I, I, I agree. Platoon is, uh, much as The Breakfast Club became the... the the film for high schools that you had to deviate from. Platoon is the Vietnam War film that you have to deviate from, I think. Uh, more so than Apocalypse Now. Uh, I don't think uh, anybody I... tried to do Apocalypse Now again. A, because it didn't do immediately well, though obviously it was accepted as a great film fairly immediately by, by the filmmaking community, but also B, because of the clear damage it did to Coppola. <laughs> yes, yeah, he did. He did very badly. I will say though, given that we are talking about Vietnam War, nothing, none of the films we watched for this encapsulated the insanity and the hubris uh, of the Vietnam War for me as well as the Colonel Gilgore sequence in mm. Apocalypse Now. I yeah. just that moment when he says, "Someday this war's going to end," and he so you could just see what that means to him on his face. That is just. I just, uh, yeah, I think Full Metal Jacket is trying to do that with with the helicopter pilot talking about shooting women and children, but yeah, it doesn't 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 work. It doesn't it doesn't do it. Um, no, uh, n- none of them had the impact to me that Colonel Gilgore sequence had. Um, it's just a shame Marlon Brandon ruined the end of that movie. But anyway, <laughs> there we are. Um, okay, well, yes, I agree. One and a half last week. Good morning, Vietnam. Uh, it's very good. Uh, uh, a bit too mossy, a bit too Hollywood, and a bit too... Uh, I, I don't know that people have imitated it. And how could you? Oh, frankly, whatever I feel about Robin Williams, he was unimitatable. You couldn't have a different character in that. You couldn't have a different actor in that role and have the same film. Yeah, I mean, you, you could potentially make a film about the the guy who comes into a relatively safe job behind the lines and gets involved with the local when it goes badly, but that isn't really the film this is. No, no, so... it's, it's a Robin Williams vehicle. Um, and I'd be interested in watching that film too, but that's not what this film yeah, is. Yeah, but yeah, certainly going by the reviewers at the time, the people who liked it said, yeah, great Robin Williams film, and this other stuff. And the people yeah, who didn't like it, it said, like... the Robin Williams stuff didn't grab me, and this other stuff was a bit rubbish. So, yeah. Yeah, I, which a, is a rare critical consensus. <laughs> Super, well, there we are. We've made it through uh, the jungle uh, and onto the other side. Have we more to say about the Vietnam? I think we've probably not got much more to say about the Vietnam conflict. Um, cinematically, Platoon casts the longest shadow, for sure. Mm. Um, but the boot camp, I don't know if it's been imitated, the boot camp sequence, but it is incredibly memorable. I can't think. I, I suppose Arlie Ermey's character is Has certainly the... been imitated. Yeah, he but, is but the, not, the not drill sergeant. length. Uh, I, he has entered common, con- you know, the songs that they're singing. This is my rival. This is my gun, and all that has entered the common consciousness in a way, mm-hmm. which shows it was influential. Well, there we are. 
the end of 1987. Come on, uh, you big strong man. Uncle Sam needs your help again. Got himself in a terrible jam way down yonder in Vietnam. So put down your books, pick up a gun, gonna have a whole lot of fun. Oh God, that is depressing. Was that a recruitment video? No, no, that's Country Joe and the Fish. <laughs> oh my God. Um, well, that's uh, okay. That's um, uh, subtle then. Fair enough. Yeah, Un- <laughs> subtle indictment. Um, well, there we are. Uh, three films about something that casts a long shadow, much bigger than us, but we can at least talk about the films. Um, and there, we liked one and a half of them. Well, <laughs> I didn't dislike Good Morning Vietnam. Um, it just felt it, it's aimed at somebody other than me. Yeah, yeah. I know it's hard to say it's a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Well, there we are. We shall return in 1988. <laughs>